Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellenbecker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for Business Ethics and Integrity. The Ellenbecker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. We are located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive. We're in that great big, beautiful town bank building. We're also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank building, which is just directly across the street from Winkies. And we have the opportunity to serve our clients in Florida, in Bonita Springs. And if you would like to know more about us, see some pictures and our offices, you can go to ellenbecker.com, as well as if you know of someone after hearing our show today that you think would benefit by hearing it, our show will be on our webpage as well under Money Sense, and it's very easy to send that off to someone. My guest today is Phil Remmers, and he is an attorney with Kramer Multoff, and he has been doing the show probably for 20 years, I think, Phil, a very long time. And it is always a pleasure to have him on because we look at some, what we consider at Ellen Becker Investment Group, the true foundation of any good planning, and that's estate planning and making sure that what you want is um, what's going to ultimately end up happening at the time of your death. And I think for my own personal self, as I look at the pandemic and I look at, you know, people that I know have gotten sick, people that have passed away, I now and more aware of how quickly our health can change um, and how quickly our whole life is turned upside down, um, either by the possibility of becoming incapacitated or sick for a very, very long time, um, injured, or of course, what we saw happen to a lot of different people, they actually passed away. And the importance of having that planning in place prior to um, having to deal with a life event. So welcome to the show, Phil. Thank you so much. I know that you are always busy, um, not only initiating plans, and you do uh, such a, an enormous amount of business with us and with our clients, but also at that point of revisiting plans and updating plans, not only as the laws change, but as people's lives change. So I think at the beginning of the year, one of the things that Julian, I always say is, um, you know, are the people that you work with referable? Do you have a team in place that you feel so comfortable with that you would tell your children to work with them? Do you have what you consider an attorney who really asks the right question, gets you? Do you have a financial advisor that sits down and, and works with you? Are they dealing and helping you to navigate the insurance and all of the other things out there? Because truly, when you pass away, your advisors are part of your legacy because your children automatically assume that you've done everything right and you've got the right people. And so, Phil, I think it's important that we just start at, you know, the very beginning and um, distinguish the difference between wills and trusts and what people might want to consider um, if, they, if they're thinking about updating documents, if they're thinking about initiating documents. So I'll let you take it from there. Okay. Well, you know, we've, we've obviously spent a lot of time over the years, you know, talking about the difference between wills and trusts. And, and part of the reason that we've worked together all these years is because our philosophy is, is generally the same. And that is, 
we are not really big advocates of wills. What we want to do is all wills need to go through probate. They need to go through a court procedure in order to get the assets distributed out to the, you know, to who the people want those assets to be distributed to. Anytime that it goes through the court procedure, it takes a lot more time. It takes more paperwork. It takes more expenses. There's more attorneys. There's more attorney fees. So what we want to do is we want to get the administration out of the court system, kind of bring it back so that it's really a private family matter then with a little bit of help from um, you know, Ellen Becker with a little bit of help from, you know, the attorneys, maybe the accountants are involved in doing some tax returns. You know, this can be really a, a very streamlined, simple procedure rather than this more complex tax or a more court procedure going through. How does someone determine if they need a trust? And I know a lot of people that I've met with and sat down with, they'll say, I don't have enough money to have a trust. Well, there's two things there. Most people don't know how much money they have because they forget to include life insurance and insurance through their employer. Um, they forget to think about if they're gonna have an inheritance, what that will look like. And then there are other people who think they have a lot of money and when you look at it, they don't have very much. Yeah. So it's really sitting down and getting a handle on what do you have and what is what is considered. So can you help people, what, what's considered that goes through probate and through a trust and what's outside of a trust and how do they evaluate that? But, but I think that's, that's the key, you know, key that you need to kind of hone in on is, is it going to need to go through probate? So, you know, I'll, I'll have people that come in and say, well, you, you don't need a trust until you have more than two or $3 million, but it's what you're trying to accomplish. I mean, if what you're trying to accomplish is not to go through probate, to make this simple for your family to cut down on expenses, you know, the trust might be, you know, needed even at a hundred thousand or $150,000. It's going to depend on what type of assets you have. Once there's less than $50,000 of assets in total, it doesn't need to go through probate. But if there's more than that, then it may need to go through probate. Now, a trust isn't the only way to avoid probate, though. You know, we, like we've talked about over the years, I mean, by putting beneficiary designations on bank accounts, by putting beneficiary designations on retirement accounts and IRAs and those types of things, those can also avoid probate and those assets can be directly... Even now you can actually put a beneficiary designation um, on a house. And so there's different ways to avoid probate, but those sometimes create their own issues. And so if we can just kind of explore the house a little bit, because people are like, listen, I'll make this easy. I'll have payable on death on all of my accounts. And then I'll put a payable on death on my house as well. But then they pass away and there's no money there to pay the funeral because all the kids got the money direct. And maybe one of the two or the kids don't want to help put that money back in. And so that becomes an issue. Or what will happen is one of the kids will die and it'll go down to, to go to the other kids and not to the children of the, the child that died. And so that can happen. That also occurs when we're dealing with a house where, you know, they'll say, well, I'll just have the house go out to my kids and then it won't have to go through probate. But now we have the house owned by three or four different kids. Now they don't agree on what the sale price should be on the house or one child wants to keep the house and the other one doesn't. Well, the ones that don't want it don't wanna have the other one live in it. They wanna be able to sell it. So we found that it's usually better to put somebody in charge and that's in a trust where, okay, this is my administrative type child. This is the one that's going to pay the bills, get everything wrapped up, 
once they get everything wrapped up, then it goes to the kids. But we're not having these arguments in between where everybody's a one fourth owner of, of the house. And now we got to decide how we're going to sell it. Do we put a new roof on? How does that all work then? When so someone's listening to us today on the air and they don't have any documents whatsoever, what happens then? I mean, what happens if they pass away? And let's say they're married, um, or we can look at it from a single point of view. Let's look at both. What happens? There's no documents. And you know, I'm sure there's people saying who would not have documents in place? Well, look at some of the movie stars that didn't have documents in place. Yeah. There's a lot of people who don't have their documents in place. Well, in, in some ways, going through a, not having a will and having a will kind of work the same because it's going to have to go through probate. It's going to have to go through a court procedure. It may be a little bit more extensive court procedure. But if you don't have a will, the statutes basically provide a will for you. And they say, here's how it's going to be distributed. And you got to decide whether you're okay with that. I mean, if you're married, it generally goes to your spouse, unless it's a blended family. It's a second marriage. You have children from another marriage, then it may not go to your spouse. And some may go to the spouse, some may go to your children. Um, if you don't have a spouse, then it would just all go to your children. If you didn't have children then or a spouse, you know, then it would go basically up to your parents and then down that way, down to your brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews and those sorts of things. So, you know, sometimes it can work, but sometimes it'll distribute it out to all sorts of people that you never intended and that you never wanted. I mean, the best bet is to have something in place so you're assured that you get the distribution pattern you want. How I always describe it, that's kind of what a will does. It gives you the distribution pattern you want. But then after that, it starts to become a little bit more problematic. Now it's going through the court system and, and having issues like that. So. so basically what you're saying is if you don't have an estate plan, if you don't have a will in place, you actually do. It just won't be yours. It'll be the government. And the government gets to decide it. That, that, that's right. No, for a lot of people, <laughs> that's, that's, that's fair. But for a lot of people, um, it sometimes goes how they want, but sometimes it doesn't go how they want. But yes. it does create, you know, a lot of issues. I mean, who's going to be the personal representative? Now we have people fighting about, you know, who's going to step in, who's going to do this. And so it just makes everything a lot more complicated. If you have your documents in place, you have, there's a document to pick up. We've named a personal representative. That person can step in. We can get outside the court procedure and have everything kind of, you know, run smoothly. Other than selling a house, a lot of times these can be wrapped up, you know, within a few months after somebody's passing. And so this doesn't get drug on to multiple tax years where it just keeps adding on additional expenses as it goes forward. Let's take a break like right now and let's come back with an idea of um, I would like to put out just a scenario of what happens with kids, but then also to start, start to outline each one of the documents that people should at least consider. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is attorney Phil Remmers, and he has been on the radio show many, many times, and he has talked to our clients and done estate play documents for our clients because we really do believe that we cannot be really effective as financial advisors if we don't really understand what's important to you and if you haven't put those documents in place. And Phil, one of the things that 
I think has happened so often that we have seen is that um, people do have documents in place and they just, they're very simple. And it says, everything goes to my kids, my wife first on the second death, everything goes to my kids. And many times that's children that aren't of age to have it. And sometimes they are, but my understanding is that there's two ways that you can pass assets to your children. One directly, which is through um, their social security number, or you can pass it through an asset protection trust. And how I would identify the asset protection trust that I look at it as if I was to die and my daughter, Julie and Tom um, inherited money and they decided to go and buy a new house, they could go and buy that house. They could use the money uh, pay it off, put a down payment down, whatever. And then let's just say 10 years or 15 years from now, they get divorced, that house gets sold. And my daughter has to give up part of her inheritance because it's a marital property state and they're splitting it. What would be a better alternative for me to do that would protect the money that I really want to pass down to my family, my bloodline? Not that I don't love my son-in-law, Tom, I absolutely do. And I'm using it as an example, but there's a better route. Yeah, and that's that's the other big advantage of a trust is the the ability to be able to put asset protection trust in there. Sometimes for your even between your your, your spouse and I. So if I take you know my um, my own example, uh, my wife is very concerned that if she dies um, and I inherit everything in my own name, that I may get remarried seven to ten days later or so because I can't <laughs> hold out any later than that, longer than that. <laughs> Um, and that it, everything would go to a new spouse. And so she would want to have that protected. And so that if she dies, her part of our assets goes into a trust. Um, I can control that trust to a certain extent so that it's there to take care of me for the rest of my life. But it would be protected from a new spouse. It would also be protected from car accidents, lawsuits, um, even estate taxes. So lots of protections, lots of flexibility with that type of trust. And then what we do is we take that same concept and we kind of bring that down to the beneficiary level, usually to the children's level or the nieces and nephews level as well. So that if I die, anything that my kids inherit, if they're under, I mean, I think we're all used to asset protection trusts. If our kids are young, that we're going to have a brother or sister, one of their uncles or aunts are going to look over those assets until a certain age, let's say at age 25 or 30, but then the kids get the money outright. And that's where that protection ceases. We don't want that to happen. We want that protection to kind of continue throughout the rest of their lives. So by setting up the trust in such a way that somebody else is in control of it till let's say age 25 or 30, and then each beneficiary, each of my children becomes the, their own trustee at age 30, but it stays in that trust and it's protected the rest of their lifetime. If they have a divorce, it's protected, car accidents, lawsuits, if they set up a business and it goes under, if their spouse sets up a business and it goes under and the banks are coming after them, that money's going to be protected. And then finally, it's also going to be protected, you know, again, from divorces, but from um, estate taxes as well. So that if my kids do well, if they've got an estate tax problem, we've already got that out of their estate. It's a simple, easy way to do that with a lot of flexibility. Does that mean that they can't get at that money, that they can't spend it? Does it mean that they're handcuffed? What does it mean? It, it can be done a number of different ways, but generally, as long as you have a good mature child, they are in control of their own trust and they would have 
um, it would be very flexible that they could use it for their needs. It needs to be their needs, but as long as it's their needs, they'd be able to use it for that then, yes. So if they want to take money out for their whole family to go on a trip to Disney or they want to do things, that money's there. It's just that so often people will say in documents that you and I have seen that they have a trust and the money's in there, but the kids get a third of it at age 30 and a third of it at age 40 and a third of it at age 50. But now you've taken it out of the trust and you've lost the protection. The whole idea is not to um, handcuff the kids. The idea is to keep the money in there to protect it, not add any additional money, but to take money out of there to maintain a lifestyle, to do the fun things that they might want to do, but to keep a portion of it protected against all of those different things that you mentioned. Right. If it's going to be spent and gone, there's nothing for outsiders to attack. But if it's just going to remain in investment, what does it really matter whether it's in you know, their investment name or whether it's in their trust investment name? Yet the moment it's in that trust investment name, it's always going to be protected. And we can't unring that bell. Once they take it out, once it goes into their own name, you can't put assets into a trust for yourself and have it protected somebody else has to do it. So if I do it for the kids and I put it in the, into the trust for the kids, it's protected. If they try to do it for themselves, they can't do it. And that's why it's important that it needs to be done right away. It can't be done after the fact. Now, Phil, I just want to jump to a little bit different topic because it just happened last week, Friday was a meeting with a client and I was asking them how their um, insurance was um, beneficiary designated and they both had 401ks. Husband had a very large one. And I said, who is the beneficiary? And he said, well, I just had my wife because after that, my will says it goes to my kids. Can you talk about the difference between an estate planning document and then the beneficiaries that are on annuities and um, on uh, annuities and insurance products, 401ks, and also something as simple as a um, savings bond. Yeah. Those are all so, beneficiary designated. Yeah, no beneficiary designations and the way I usually like to describe it are really kind of at a higher level. They come in prior to and before what happens with the trust. So it's very important that that, that run its course, those beneficiary designations. So in your example, it's great that they've named their spouse. If they die, the life insurance goes to their spouse. But what happens if their spouse is already deceased? Now we have no beneficiary to that life insurance. And a lot of times we may have to go through probate. We may have to go through a court procedure. Even if we have a trust in place, we may have to because it's not directed. So you really want to get those beneficiary designations so you have all kind of possible. So a lot of times what we do is we may name the spouse's primary beneficiary on a life insurance more likely we would do it on like a retirement account. We'll have the spouse be primary beneficiary, but then we'll have secondary beneficiaries where it is flowing into the trust. Maybe it's in, right into the asset protection trust for the kids, but we kind of have an end game with it. We don't just leave it loose where it's a spouse and then there's nothing. It goes into a trust, an entity that's not going to go away so that we always have a distribution pattern you know, ready to go. And that's important to do for all of your assets. We've talked about that, you know, the house either needs to be in the trust or it needs to be pointed to avoid probate. Um, but we want to be able to do that with retirement accounts, especially lots of tax issues there. It's, it's, it's really important to get that point in the right direction. But even on savings bonds, they're very difficult to deal with. Um, they're, they're hard to sometimes cash in. Um, you don't want to have to go through probate on them. So if you can get those named the right way on those savings bonds, so somebody dies, it's going to go to your spouse or it's going to go to your children or to this trust. 
so that it doesn't have to go through probate then. I do want to also state that if you have a trust currently and your 401k or your IRAs say spouse and then children, you can't just turn around and put spouse and then trust the trust that you have, you have to work with an attorney and have special language in the trust to name that trust so that it doesn't get sold out at the time of death in order to fund the trust. Um, there's language that Phil uses with our clients that very specifically determines how that's going to happen. Yeah, you, you, def you definitely want to be careful with that. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, there's no other, you know, sometimes you do name the trust. I mean, it's a, it's a very complicated estate plan and, and you need to do that. But we try to lean against that, that we get it to kind of the end user. So if we will go directly into the asset protection trust and we just don't dump it into the base trust, because a lot of times we do have tax issues with that. I also want to mention that many years ago, um, the um, IRS changed the way they distribute and the assets for a retirement account. In the past, it was that it flows to your spouse and it's asset protected, and then it's spouse, it passes to your beneficiaries protected, but that's no longer the case. It passes to the spouse protected, but no longer to the beneficiaries, your children or whoever you've named. So if you do want to have those assets protected, you need to do something similar to what Phil is talking about. Yeah. And again, that's why we like to do the asset protection trust. I mean, the thinking, you know, a, a number of years back was that, you know, the retirement accounts, IRAs have a lot of protections that are just built into the law with those. And so that if you, if a child inherited that, they would, they would acquire those protections. And the Supreme Court did, you know, rule on that a few years ago and said, no, there are no protections. And so, you know, that's why we've kind of almost doubled down on that so that we don't want those assets to be distributed outright to the kids because now we know that they're not protected. They're no different than if they would have gotten a bank account. We wanna get those into those lifetime asset protection trusts so that those are also protected. And then again, we get the best tax benefit. And you know, talking about law changes, you know, a couple of years ago, it used to be that the kids could stretch it out over their lifetime. Now it's all gotta be taken out in 10 years. And so, it's bad enough having to take it out over 10 years, but a lot of times if you go into the base trust, you're, you're required to take it out over one, two years. Maybe you can get five years depending on what you're trying to accomplish, but you're not going to get that 10 year always without getting into the, the lifetime asset protection trusts. So let's take a break. And when we come back, let's talk about, we've been talking about just the traditional family that's passing um, money down to their, their children or their beneficiaries. But in many cases, I just want to um, kind of red flag some of the other situations where you may have a wife that's not good financially or spouse, or you may have children that have had some types of um, um, situations, addictions, and things like that, or you might have a child who is impaired in some way, that there's also things that can be done to protect children. You always say from not making a dumb mistake, <laughs> but also those children that need to be protected so that financially they'll be taken care of for the rest of their lives if they might not be able to care for themselves. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Phil Remmers. I have worked 
with Phil longer than I almost can remember and um, trust him with my planning and I trust him with our clients planning. And that's what you really need. That's what this whole thing about trust is. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that in terms of who do you trust to put into those um, different job requirements that this estate planning um, really needs. But I, I do wanna have Phil, if you would just outline who should be maybe thinking about protecting their children um, beyond just the traditional planning? Yeah. No, we kind of spent, you know, most of the time now talking about traditional families, but, you know, obviously today there's a lot of blended families and those get very interesting really quickly because, you know, if, if I've heard it once, I probably hear it 20 you know, times a year that, you know, somebody dies and it's their father, let's say their mother had already passed away and they give it to their stepmother. And the thinking being is that it's all gonna come back upon the stepmother's death, but then the stepmother may change it to only give it to her children or only give it to her family. And so that doesn't come back or, you know, obviously that can be vice versa do with, you know, with a stepfather. And so, um, you know, there, there, there's different possibilities. The only possibility isn't that everything needs to be outright, that, you know, the first spouse dies, this, you know, the surviving spouse gets it, they get remarried and they give it to their new spouse. We can have, you know, we can set up trust for the new spouse so that they're taking care of the rest of their lifetime, but then the money still goes back to the original family and to those kids. Um, and so th there's lots of flexibility there as far as, you know, who should be in control of it, how much they get, who's making that determination. Maybe they're even in control of their own money, kind of like my situation where if my wife dies, it all goes into a trust for me, I'm in control of it, but so I can decide when I need it and when I want to utilize it, I just can't change it up so that when I die, I can't decide that it goes to a new spouse, that it, it then it needs to go to our children like my wife you know, directed. What it also does though, is I think it also gives a lot of comfort in that it, by creating that separation, if I get new, remarried, maybe I want to take care of my spouse in my new spouse with my money, but you know, it's hard to know what was my spouse's money and what was my money. So by getting that separated outright from the beginning, I understand that that's her money, that that should be used, you know, should go down to the kids. And so that I only use my money to maybe take care of the new spouse then. Mm -hmm. And then what about children that have um, medical issues or they have, um, emotional issues or addictions or things yeah. like that. And we see so often that families are different. They've got one kid or a child or several children that have had different things that need special attention when it comes to estate planning, because the last thing any of us want is our money to make our children's lives difficult or, yeah. or to ruin their lives. Yeah, that, that, that's what's so great about these trusts. They're just so flexible that once you have the trust set up and ready to go, we're already creating trust for each kid, you know, so, so that box is all already being created. Now what we do is we just need to be able to customize that for each child if there's, there's differences. And the easy one maybe is going to be, you know, that child that's never going to be able to take care of their own, their own money, that um, maybe there's a form of autism or, or some other, um, you know, condition that they're never gonna be able to be in charge of their money. And maybe they're getting governmental benefits. <clears throat> and if assets are directed outright to them, those assets you know, could be lost. And so that's where we would use a supplemental needs trust. So that would go into a special trust 
somebody else would be in control of that trust, that they could invest it for them, control it for them, that they could give them money to take care of them, go on vacations, whatnot, but that it will not take away from any governmental benefits that they're already getting. When I think of um, these issues, Phil, and you and I have been in many meetings where you know we pick up something just doesn't feel right, and we'll say, "Well, where are the children?" We had one one time together where they just didn't want to talk about, but one of the children were in jail, and they had actually made them the oldest child, um, the trustee on the trust, and he was in there for embezzlement. And I remember we sat back and we had to redo the whole trust, but. It's creating and working with people who you feel comfortable with that you can tell and be transparent about what's really happening in your life and what is meaningful for you. And I think that that's a reason that a lot of people don't go in and do the estate planning because they, it's just so hard to talk about some of these issues that, that affect the families. But yet, if you don't talk about it and you don't find the right people to work with, it can, it can be a disaster. No, and we've heard that, you know, obviously a lot over the years. I mean, maybe the, the easy ones are doing a special needs trust or a supplemental needs trust where we know that they need to have somebody you know, overseeing it. But how many times have we had people come in and they, they haven't done estate planning for a few years? For, they've been thinking about it for a number of years and they haven't gone forward with it. And then they'll come and see us for an hour. And they'll leave and they'll like, oh my gosh, if I'd known it would have been that easy, if I'd known I would have had that type of flexibility, if I could kind of create it. I mean, all this has been going in my mind and my head. I just didn't know how to put it on paper. And so that's what makes it easy. And so th these can be customized. A lot of times they're not. I mean, right, if the kids are 30, they're in control of their own. But if there's addiction problems, if there's emotional problems, Sometimes what we'll do is, you know, the kids will never be in charge of their own money. Sometimes we'll say they get $3,000 a month for the rest of their, their life. Maybe it's $3,000 a month, plus they can get a new vehicle every five years, or they can pay, you know, or there can be extras, you know, that are given out. Sometimes, and, and I can't tell you how often this happens, is where the parents just say, listen, once they get to retirement, I don't care. I just want them to get to retirement with some money. So then maybe what we do is we say, listen, there'll be a little bit of money. Somebody else watches the money. And when they turn 60, then they can be in charge of their money because at least I know I got it there. I just don't want to give it to them when they're 45 because they're not good with money. It'll be all gone and they won't have anything you know, for retirement. So, yes. And, so and the, I hear people say all the time, I just want to make sure there's a roof over their head. Right. And, and, and that's what these trusts can do. And you can create you know, what you want. You know, tell us you know, what you want. And it doesn't take very much to make that to make that happen. Well, and, and I think you said a word that I think is important for people to know. Trusts are flexible. You can change them. They're not written in stone. They're not irrevocable. You can change them. So as you have that child that is in his 20s, that is very difficult with money, by the time he's 40, you say, he doesn't need that anymore. You know, it's changed. But I think the important thing, and we're going to take a quick break, is that you know that you're planning for what if it happened tomorrow. What if you both perished in a car accident? What if? So you're planning for tomorrow. You're not planning from 10 years from now or 20 years. You can change it. It's very simple. And with that, we will be right back.
Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor, and I'm talking today with attorney Phil Remmers, and we're talking about estate planning. And if you don't have a estate plan, remember you do. It just might not be the one that you want. It's important to work with an attorney that is going to listen to you and is going to help you to understand what your options are. An estate plan isn't like a turkey, you put it in the oven and you wait for it to be cooked and done. And it's the same thing for everyone. They're unique, they're different, and they can be, as Phil said earlier, customized to your family, your children, and your desires. If you would like to um, talk to Phil, if you'd like to have your current estate planning documents reviewed, and I, I say that unless something has really changed in your life, every five years is a good point of contact, you can call him at 262 542-4278. That's 262-542-4278. Phil, could you just um, briefly talk about some of the things that would be in, be reasons that people would want to be do a trust other than you and I always talk about it as the convenience and it's making it simplifying it for your family. But there are things like many people have property in two different, three different states. They've got um, a lot of fancy cars and, you know, who should be thinking about doing this besides we say everyone, but yeah. some of those things that will at least say, oh, he's talking about me. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I hate to keep, you know, repeating myself, but it, it kind of comes down to probate. Uh, you know, we, 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 we set up the trust initially to avoid probate. Um, and what we've kind of been talking about so far is maybe going through probate in Wisconsin, right? Because if you don't have, if you just have a will, it's going to have to go through probate. But that becomes more problematic when you have assets in other states. So if you have a Wisconsin property and you have a Florida property, now are you going to have to go through probate in both states? And, and like I like to say, if you don't like probate um, and the expense of attorneys in Wisconsin, you're certainly not going to like <laughs> probate and the expense of attorneys um, in Florida. And it does, it, it doubles it, maybe even more than that, um, makes it a lot more complicated. So Yes, when you have cars out of state, when you have um, you know property in in Arizona and Florida and Arkansas, you want to get those assets in because it's still a probate problem, but it's just going to be it just really kind of ex exacerbates the problem at that point. Or, or you've inherited property. We've had them in different countries. We've had the family farm that you own a third of it. Um, those are nightmares when you pass away if you haven't got some some understanding around how they work and how they will no, work with right. your family. And that kind of gets into the customization. So, you know, that if you have unique assets, and so you said, you know, family farm can be one, obviously in Wisconsin, um, cabins up north, you know, are a popular. I mean, how does that work when one child wants in, one child wants out, you know, three want in, one wants out, you know, how does that work? I mean, is it, you know, do does the parents want to put a maintenance fund so that there's, you know, there's money set aside to take care of the maintenance expenses for 10 or 15 years. So the kids don't feel like they're dipping into their money, even though it's maybe into their inheritance, they don't feel like they're like, listen, it's all set up, it's done. I can just go and enjoy this cabin with my siblings you know, for the next you know, 10, 15 years. Um, again, you can also do things where you can have like a family vacation fund, right? So maybe you're like, okay, I got four kids, I'm gonna, create five shares though. Each kid's going to get 20%, but then I'm going to put in 20% into a vacation fund so that when the whole family wants to get together after I'm gone, 
and be able to go on a trip, again, they don't feel like they have to put it in. It's set aside, it's for that. The only way it's gonna get used is if they go on this vacation with their siblings um, and it makes you know that very easy and it encourages that to happen. Phil, I just wanna jump into, there's so many um, families that have, I always call them basement dwellers, but they've got children that are living in the family house and there's three children that aren't. And at the time of death, it's, does this kid get moved out? Does this kid get to stay? Do they, other children lose their inheritance? And I, I will tell you, kids keep track. Kids keep track of what they consider fair or not fair. No, and they do. And, you know, all families are different. I mean, sometimes, you know, the families, they'll just say, well, you know what, my siblings always lived in the house and we're just going to let that, you know, roll until they don't live in that house. And they, they basically just get free rent. Other ones don't feel like that. And so then again, um, that's where it's good to do that planning. Don't put your kids in the position that they have to be the bad guy. They have to make these tough choices. You know, make the decision. Do you want to give that person the, the, the right to live in their house? Or is it like, no, listen, the house is going to be sold. They'll have their inheritance. They need to go on, but they're, they're not freeloading on their siblings if that's not what the, the parents want. If the parents want it, then great, but then write that in. Don't have that decision be implemented by the law or the other siblings. Then. And often it's even a maintenance issue. Can they afford to live there? Right. You know, and, yeah, so and then those again, who things... pays for it, right? They're like, right. well, I know I'm living in it, but it's all four of our houses, so we should split the real estate taxes. I'm like, really? You're really, you're living in there for free. How does that work? Those decisions, again, it doesn't take a lot to put that in there, but it can create, it can get rid of a lot of problems very quickly. Which is one of the reasons, Phil, that we encourage our clients and to sit down as a family and talk through these issues so that you you aren't putting that burden on them to make decisions that, that puts them in an awkward position. The last thing that we want and what we do see is that families get divided over some of these things. No, and, and a lot of times that happens when everything's not equal. Now, again, every parent's got to do what's best for all of their own children. But, you know, I'll have people come to me and they're like, well, I'm going to give everything to this child because they don't have as much. And the other child is well off. And my, my question always is, is, well, what do you mean by well off? Well, they got a million, a million and a half. I'm like, yeah, if you got a million and a half and you're going to inherit a quarter million dollars, you know what, that, that's a bit, that's a life. I get it. If they've got 50 million, a quarter million maybe doesn't matter. But at a million and a half, a quarter will make a difference. So they'll go talk to that person and they'll like, no, I would be very hurt that you know, just because I live my life in one way and they decided to live theirs a different way that we're not being treated equally. And then you're pulling the family apart. So those are, yes, those are the discussions, you know, that you want to have. When you don't treat your kids equally, sometimes that creates big issues that they see somebody having their hand out through the entire parental relationship. The other one did what they felt like they, they're supposed to do. Um, and then they get treated all the same at inheritance time, or they even get more just because they were the, willing, the ones to willing to ask. So you need to be careful about that. Have those discussions with your kids. I know just recently I was talking to a husband and wife and their children. They said, well, we, we really don't have to leave our daughter anything. She's married to so-and-so and they have a lot of money and he's gonna inherit a lot of money. And I said, well, first of all, that could be true if he doesn't die. And do you think that his parents are going to give you money 
or they might give your children money or what if they get divorced? Do you think that you're still that your daughter's going to get money from this wealthy family? It only works if it stays exactly the same. And we don't know. I mean, things change. So you can't count on that. You've got to no. really think through that. Yeah, you can't count on it. But but it, it, a lot of times it just comes down to the feelings. It's like, well, why didn't I guess my mom didn't love me as much. And then, you know, then it's like, well, boy, my my brother, you know, obviously put duress on my mom to get more. And now you've wrecked that relationship. So now again, and I get it, you're gone, but now they have a bad, you know, memory of you. And now they're not getting along with their sibling all because you're not treating them the same. Now, I'm not saying that you should treat them the same. What I'm saying is it needs to be thought through, which you should consider what are the ramifications. Sometimes, you know, siblings will be like, I get it. They have special needs. They need the money. They need to be taken care of. You know, parents do what you got to do, but that's not always the case. And so have those discussions, think about that, then make a decision. And what you can also do is you could have an account that helps to facilitate and take care of that child. It, the child doesn't have the money and what's left goes distributed between the other children. I mean, there's all kinds of things once you know what the issue is. Absolutely. And that comes down to the customization where, again, we have people, they're like, I just didn't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Then you'll lay out the scenario you just did. And like, well, goodness, if I know I could do that, where I could take care of this special needs child, but whatever was left, I made sure went back to the other children to make sure that they were taken care of and they were treated fairly. That works for me. And all of a sudden, five years worth of anguish, how to do this, you know, can go away in an hour because they're like, no, okay, now I see how that's done. That's easy. You know, I was sitting down with Julie the other day and she said, mom, you've got to sit down and determine who gets your jewelry. She said, I don't want that. She said, I don't want to have anybody feel bad that I've chosen where that jewelry goes. And she said, you keep saying that you've got a strand of pearls for each one of the granddaughters, either for a wedding or whatever. And she said, are they all exactly the same? And I said, no. And she said, well, put them in a bag <laughs> and say, this one goes to Savvy. This one goes to Sienna. She said, because I don't want to have to make those choices. And so let, let's talk a little bit about personal property, because that is one of the places that families feud over and, and detach from each other all the time. Yeah, with, with, with the personal property, I mean, they there are a lot of discussions about it. I mean, obviously, money's easy to divide. And, you know, whether you get $100, you know, cash, it's $100 of cash. But if you're getting you know, jewelry that can all look different and it can have different values on it. And so um, there's lots of flexibility here too. Again, we can build it into a will, we can build it, build, it, build it into a trust, but what we can also do is there's a document called a memorandum of personal property where you can you know, set out yourself where you want those types of assets to go and you can change it up whenever you want. So you're not always running back to the attorney changing it up. You can have that program on the computer. You you know you type it in, you print it, you sign it, and then every time you want to change it, you just rip off, you rip up the prior one that you signed, print out the new one with whatever changes you want, and you're ready to go again. And so that makes kind of a simple, efficient way to have your personal property be distributed. And I think that children have ideas of what they want, and being able to do that prior to your death to be able to determine where you want it to go is really important. And we only have, Phil, like three minutes left. And we didn't talk about the powers. We've only got two minutes left. Powers of attorney for healthcare and power of attorney for finances. So you're not, don't have much time. But I think a lot of people have been faced with this pandemic, not having the power of attorney for healthcare in place. 
people go into the hospital and they can't even see them. Can you talk about that one really quickly? Yeah, no, I just had it, you know, you know, the other day, you know, a client, I'd done the estate plan. They hadn't, you know, gone through, they kind of sat on it. Um, and then they got COVID and they were in the hospital you know, for quite a while. And the hospital gives me a call. They're like, hey, we need somebody to be able to make healthcare decisions for them. They can't make those decisions. I'm like, I don't have anything in place. You know, their, their sibling, you know, called me up and say, you know, I need to pay the bills. We need to get take, you know, these documents taken care of. But there was no financial power of attorney. So it's very important. Um, sometimes, sometimes even more than having, you know, a will or trust in place, that there's a financial power of attorney, someone that can make financial decisions if you're sick. Um, if you're injured, you cannot write your own checks. And just because you're married doesn't mean that they can do it. And you they can't do it. And again, I get it. Yeah. If you got a joint bank account, they're going to be able to get into it. But if you're in the middle of selling your house, they're going to need to be able to sign that document. Same thing on the healthcare power of attorney, someone to make healthcare decisions for you if you're sick and you're not able to make that decision yourself. And that is true of children that you have off to college or children that are over 18. I have a son that's 50 years old that isn't married and I'm his power of attorney because there'd be no one. I don't get to do it just because I'm the parent. My guest today, oh, Phil, we got to get you back because we just, there are so many things we didn't cover. My guest today is attorney Phil Remmers. If you would like to ask him questions, if you'd like him to review your documents, 262-542-4278. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and your financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Thank you, Phil. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.